This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. So I'm, I'm speaking to you this morning about humility. Uh, and I was thinking um, during the week, do we know what humility is? Um, it's a topic I've, I've spoken about before, and I remember speaking about it at a, at a youth group uh, a couple of years ago, and I asked the teenagers, can you define humility? What is humility? Uh, and they all scratched their heads. So I thought we'd better start with a definition. In the dictionary, humility means freedom from pride or arrogance. Uh, in the Bible, it's similar. Uh, in fact, the word for humility or humble uh, literally translates as to be low or to, to be lowered or to make yourself lower. It's got this kind of direction to it. It means giving yourself a lower status than someone else. To uh, put yourself beneath them. Uh, and especially God. To kind of acknowledge that God's status is higher than your status. Like we just sang about. Uh, to acknowledge His greatness and, and put ourselves in the right kind of relationship with God. What it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you hate yourself. It doesn't mean that you feel bad about yourself. Not at all. It actually means you don't think about yourself particularly good or bad. You just don't really think about yourself at all. You're not arrogant and stuck up about how great you are, and you're not ashamed or embarrassed about how terrible you are. Humility is that you choose to use what you have, your, your power, your status, your abilities, your influence, no matter how big or small that might be, you use whatever you've got for others because you're focused on them and not on yourself. A humble person is willing to listen, to learn, to understand somebody else instead of being the person who does all the teaching and all the talking and all the telling. It means you remember that God is much bigger and stronger and smarter than you, that you don't know everything, that you can't do everything, which brings you to trusting God and asking for help and being willing to admit when you're wrong or you've done something wrong. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but in, if you've read a a bunch of the Bible, you would know that this thing about humility comes up a lot. Again and again, God tells His people to be humble, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The whole way through the Bible is this theme of humility. Uh, I wanted to bring just one example, uh, and it's kind of a, it's not super left field, but it might not be one you're super familiar with. Uh, this is the life of a king in the Old Testament called King Hezekiah. Uh, his story is in a couple of books of the Bible, uh, 2 Chronicles 29 
to 32 and 2 Kings 18 to 20. So if you haven't read Chronicles or Kings recently, you might be scratching your head thinking, the name's familiar, but I couldn't quite place him. He lived about 700 years before Jesus, give or take. And he is described as a really good king in a line of bad kings. His father was a bad king before him, his son was a bad king after him, and he was, he was a good king. And there's this kind of bright spot uh, in, the, in the bigger story that's being told in Chronicles and Kings that this great king Hezekiah came along and he called God's people back to God. He said, you've got to get rid of all your other worship idols and things, scrap all of that, clear out the temple, uh, we're just going to worship the one true God from now on. And he, he reinstated the priesthood and got them on the right track and he cleaned up the temple and got that back on track and he reintroduced all the festivals that they had in their, their religious calendar and they started celebrating that again, uh, especially the Passover. 2 Chronicles uh, 31.20 says, what, he did what was good and right and faithful. So he sounds like a good guy, doesn't he? But there's this one verse right at the end of his life in chapter 32 where we see that he, even King Hezekiah, struggled with pride. After all that God had done for him, after all of this wonderful relationship that he had with God, uh, God had helped him win battles and gain an international reputation. Uh, He even got really sick and nearly died at one point and God healed him. And yet, says the author of Chronicles, he began to take credit for all the good things that had happened and to feel like he had done it and it wasn't that God had done it for him. He started to be proud. And in 2 Chronicles 32, 25, we read, Therefore the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and on Jerusalem. It's kind of a tragedy that after such an amazing life of faithfulness, he stumbles. But it's also interesting that he didn't necessarily do anything bad. Like, he didn't, he didn't start encouraging people to go back to idol worship. He didn't close the temple doors and, and say, forget all that. He didn't really do anything bad, did he? It was just his heart. His heart became proud. His heart was a big problem in God's sight. And God saw his heart, even if no one else knew, and said, now my wrath is on you and on Judah and Jerusalem that you lead. And thankfully, he wasn't too proud to repent. And he repented of his pride And God's wrath was turned aside before it was too late. But the story is told in this way to kind of draw attention that nobody, not even the great King Hezekiah, is immune to pride. And God takes it incredibly seriously. Uh, There's a whole bunch of verses about uh, pride, as I said, throughout the Bible. Uh, The book of Proverbs is a hot spot. Uh, And there's this one proverb particularly, Proverbs 
chapter 3, verse 34, that gets quoted by Peter uh, in our passage from 1 Peter this morning. Uh, It's this great verse, God opposes the proud but shows favour or gives grace to the humble. Peter wants to remind the people that right the way through, even from the Old Testament, God's desire for the human heart has not changed. God wants you to be humble. Now, there are two kind of focuses here that Peter has on humility in these two verses. We're starting in the middle of the passage. Sorry about that. I like to do that sometimes. Starting in verse 5, uh, and verse 5 and 6 kind of sit with this double instruction. We're to dress ourselves with humility as we relate to one another, and we're to humble ourselves under the mighty power of God. Do you see that? The two sides of humility. Humble yourselves to one another and humble yourselves before God. Now, what's interesting about that is that what that is saying is that humility, true humility, is always in a relationship. You're not just humble to yourself. You're humble in relationship to God or to someone else. Humility is an attitude that says, I will think of someone else above myself. And if there's not a someone else there, then that's not humility. First and foremost, we humble ourselves before God. We acknowledge His supremacy above everything, and we especially acknowledge His Lordship over us personally. And we'll come back to that in a second. But first of all, we're going to look at our humility here in verse 5. It says, Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. Um, Peter's using this kind of metaphor of, of dressing yourself. Um, it's kind of saying, like, make a conscious decision to, to choose humility. We humble ourselves before one another in a couple of different ways. I think the way this looks is that we say, I, I care about you. I want to serve you. I want to care for your needs. I want to honor you above myself. Uh, Peter has actually already kind of started talking about this in the earlier verses in this, that I read in 1 Peter 5. He's just been addressing the leaders of the church that he calls elders, um, but it could kind of be, um, you know, any kind of leader. He's addressing the leaders and he wants them to lead as humble shepherds, not lording it over the others. And then he turns attention to the others that he calls the, the youngers, you know, the elders and the youngers. Um, it's a kind of funny turn of phrase, but he's basically saying, you know, I want you to be humble followers, to submit yourselves and to care about your leaders. And there's this mutual humility, uh, even though there's a different kind of status to these people. Humility before one another, whatever our rank, is vital for our community. Personally, I long to see a church here at NVBC that is a community of humility, where we love one another. We talked about that, didn't we? 
few weeks ago, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, offer hospitality to one another, forgive one another. We've just spent six weeks and had a week on each of those topics, and they are all outworkings of having a heart of humility toward one another. If I'm just here for me and to get my way, if I come to church with an agenda and say, I'm here to get what I'm owed. I've signed up to this thing. I've, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a ministry partner. I, I put my money in every week, and I'm here to get what I'm owed. That's not an attitude of humility. If the preaching isn't the way you like it, if the musicians play their songs all the wrong way, too fast or too slow or too loud or too quiet, if, if the systems and the structures and the strategies are all wrong and things aren't done the way you want them done, if people aren't welcoming enough or kind enough to you, that, there's, a, there's, a, there's a problem there, potentially. I think it's okay to, to notice that things aren't working right and to say, hey, I've noticed there's this problem, how can we fix it? But if it's, a, if it's a spirit of critical heart that says, I'm sick of this, it's useless, it's terrible, the leaders are doing a crappy job, that's pride, isn't it? You know, James, uh, another one of these New Testament guys, um, he says that the fights and the quarrels that people have at church come from our desire to get our own way. He says, oh, hang on, I lost my, my place. There it is. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. I'm glad no one's killing each other, MBBC. It sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war and take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Uh, James is, is a dramatic kind of writer. He likes a bit of exaggeration, hyperbole. Um, but, you know, I think if he knew the word ego and used it the way we use it today in English, uh, he'd probably use a word like that to describe what's going on here. People are focused on themselves and therefore they fight and quarrel to take what they want. And he goes on to quote the same proverb, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility is the antidote to the desires that battle within you. Humility is the key to a heart that loves like God and longs to serve others and seeks to build up instead of tearing down, that wants to include others, that wants to forgive as the Lord forgave me. It's a big call, isn't it? For everyone. For our elders, for our leaders, and for our followers. Helpfully, Peter gives us a whole lot of pointers of how to do this. Isn't that lucky? We need the how-to, don't we? Because otherwise it's a bit, it's 
bit too much to take. Number one, verse six, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. That's the first and the most important thing. Humble yourselves under God. We need to get our relationship to God in the right place first. God is a God of love, a God of forgiveness, a God of mercy, a God of justice, a God of compassion, a God who cares. If we know that God, if we're in a good relationship with that God, if we're honoring that God in our hearts, then we will begin to be like Him. And it will help us to find ourselves in right relationship with one another as well. That's why we talk about being desperate for God and passionate for people. The two are working together. The next one, he goes on and says, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Now, honor, for us, it seems like, what's that got to do with anything? But it's got everything to do with what Peter's talking about here. Because humility is to give up on your honor. It's to lose out on honor. Uh, especially in the kind of culture that Peter's living in and, and, and his readers are living in. He's saying, if he's telling them, be humble, they're going to say, but I'll lose honor, I'll lose status. And so he says, well, it's okay for you to give that up because at the right time, God will honor you. Honor isn't something to earn, it isn't something to strive for, it isn't something to fight for, it isn't something to compete over and push others down to rank, lift yourself in rank. It's not something we seek out by a force of our personality or by our achievements or by our ability to put others down. Honor is something God bestows on us in His grace, freely and without merit. You don't have to earn it. God honors His children. We don't make ourselves into kings and queens. He calls us princes and princesses. We are lifted up by a God of grace who died for us. In spite of our failings and our weaknesses and our selfishness and our sin, that's the gospel. The God who lifts the lowly, not the self-made people that we think we can be. Which leads us to the next bit. Give all your worries and cares to God because He cares about you. That's the other side of humility. Not just to be submissive to God, but to take your worries and cares to Him because He loves you and cares for you. I think sometimes we think that to be in a humble relationship with God is to sort of grovel before God and to hide from God and to sort of generate a sense of distance that He is so far above me and I am so low down here. But actually, the God of the Bible welcomes us and invites us. And we don't have to be strong 
and we don't have to overcome the struggles in our life on our own. We can come before God and trust that He will do it by His power and by His Spirit. Humility doesn't make us hide or fear God. Humility draws us near to Him, lower than Him, like children with a parent. And then another twist. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Again, why does Peter suddenly... It seems like he's changing subject every sentence here. Why does he suddenly bring up the devil? What has that got to do with anything? Well, I think that what he's thinking is that as humility draws us near to God... The devil tries to tear us away again. And so Peter is thinking about about the lies of the devil that undermine our relationship, our humble relationship with God. Lie number one says, I am a good person. I do the right things. I, I try really hard. I'm not like those sinners out there. I'm a good Christian person. I'm capable, I'm strong in and of myself, and I don't need any help. I don't need God. It's the lie of arrogance. Or alternatively, the lie that, the opposite lie, the lie that I'm a bad person, that I am unworthy and unlovable, and that I don't deserve God. The lie of shame. Both of these things take us away from God. We must stand firm against Satan's lies and be strong in our faith and trust God and trust His love and His goodness and His power and authority. The next thing he says is, remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. So Peter's turning from the inward suffering of the attack of the devil to the outward, tangible struggles that we might face. And he's saying, when we suffer, when we're attacked by people or by governments, which was what was happening for Peter's friends as he writes this letter, or when we suffer sickness or, or hardship or any other kind of struggles then we can lose sight of others and even lose sight of God. We turn inward on ourselves. And it's a lot harder to be humble when you're just focused on yourself. It's worth remembering, in spite of any kind of suffering we're facing, that we are not alone. I love that uh, Peter draws attention and says, remember, you have a family of believers. And not just here at NVBC, but all over the world who suffer as well. We suffer together, not alone. Our Christ, Jesus, whom we worship, is a God who suffered and died on a cross. Humble, humiliated even. 
Suffering doesn't mean that you are not loved. It doesn't mean that you are alone. In fact, let's finish the sentence, in His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, He will restore, support, and strengthen you and place you on a firm foundation. This is our sure and certain hope. Just as Christ's suffering led to His glory, just as after He died on the cross, He was resurrected in great power, so too, says Peter, after we have suffered for a little while, we will receive restoration, support and strength in this life and even more in the life to come. And so Peter closes this paragraph with a little prayer of humble praise, all power to him forever. Amen. Humility is hard. And these words give us uh, some help to know what we can do, to remain in a right relationship with God and to remain in good, healthy, humble relationships as His people with one another. And I think uh, just as Peter finishes in prayer, it's only right that we finish in prayer too. Uh, So we're going to pray together uh, and then after we pray, we're going to sing together uh, some words of humble praise to God. So please pray with me. Lord God, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge your glory. We acknowledge your greatness. We acknowledge your power. We acknowledge your authority. Lord, we are your humble servants. And God, we're sorry for uh, the ways that our hearts uh, lead us astray. Uh, Lord, for the ways in which uh, we lose sight of you and therefore uh, we get wrong thinking in our minds about how we think about ourselves and how we think about others too. Lord, I pray that uh, you would give us hearts of humility. Lord, that we would do as Hezekiah did, uh, that we would repent of our pride and not be too proud to repent of our pride. And Lord, uh, I pray that you would be shaping us as your people, as a community, uh, to be a community of humility. Lord, that we would uh, look to one another even as we look to you, that we would honour you and honour each other as your children, as our brothers and our sisters in you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.